life that says, well, this is the way your life is supposed to be unfolding. Um, every, uh, certainly, as I've learned here, everyone's journey is tremendously unique, and the contours are very different. And something that we might say in the 20s might be incredibly applicable to you in the 60s or vice versa. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, in our cultural context, what seem to be the major challenges that face us at each kind of unique decade and with each decade, each unique stage of life. So this morning, we're going to look at the 30s, which I have a few more months in until I move into a whole new stage of life. So I've been excited to preach on this one. We introduced the 30s and the start of our series by saying this is the decade where the emphasis is on saving coupons. Margins are razor thin. We've often taken on more than we can handle. We've said yes to juggling a lot of balls, and we're just trying to keep them in the air. As Kevin DeYoung states in his book, Crazy Busy, my life may not be spinning out of control, but it's probably spinning too fast, and it's a bit wobbly. And I think everybody in this decade can relate to, the, can relate to feeling frazzled and overwhelmed a vast majority of the time. During your 30s, it increasingly feels like life is happening to you. You don't really necessarily feel in the driver's seat. You're just reacting to what is coming at you. Time seems to be accelerating, and it feels like it's increasingly difficult to find space for rest or reflection. It's a decade of perpetual tiredness. One person said to me as a parent, "You, you never actually get tired, you're just tired. It's a state that you just inhabit for a long period of time. The excitement that was likely there for a lot of us in our 20s has given away to a a lot of, well, given way to normality. Mundaneness has now permeated our lives. It's pretty rare in your 30s to experience anything strikingly new. Many of the pieces are now in place. But with that comes a transition from experiencing life through novelty and the excitement that comes with novelty to experiencing life through the familiar and through the consistent. And in the 30s, people have that experience of Bill Murray in the 90s, right? Groundhog Day. Every day kind of feels the same. And it feels like you're in a bit of a time warp and you're like, is this real? Like, and you just feel like you're repeating Same pattern, same schedule, same priorities, same chaos, and it's just rolling over days, weeks, months, years at a time. We talk about this decade being that of saving coupons because financial margins tend to be pretty tight if there are uh, young families are are tending to kind of blossom at this time. And with that, one person in uh, in the relationship tends to have to pull back in terms of work duties, and that means that uh, your margins are uh, more stressful financially. Uh, You can have increased financial stress. Top two things that married couples fight about are money and uh, sex. And so with these external financial pressures, that makes this a very difficult time for marriages. Through the 30s, a lot of people that I've talked to over the years speak to a sense of being haunted by regrets or haunted by these questions of what if... What if I would have, you know, turned left in my 20s and not right? Um, there's a certain disenchantment that comes during the 30s, a disenchantment with how your life has unfolded. 
likely life hasn't turned out the way that you thought it would, dreamed it would, planned it would. And so you're having to deal with the gulf between what you assumed was going to be, what you wanted to be, and what actually is. There's also greater self-awareness in the 30s. Some of that's born out of this struggle, out of these disappointments. You're, in my experience, tending to become aware of kind of scripts, patterns, processes in your marriage, raising kids, and how you're just kind of doing life that, are, that you've kind of been unconsciously living out, and now is a time where you're becoming aware of those and, and hopefully starting to question where those are coming from and, and starting to deal with them. But your sense of self-awareness is definitely increasing. And as I mentioned before, marriages are under a tremendous strain. You're usually somewhere in your year five to eight of marriage. That coincides with about the same time where kind of the, the fault lines of who you are as a person begin to show. Your, again, idealized view of what your marriage relationship is going to be like begins to crumble away as you realize, oh, marriage is a commitment of one sinner to another, one profoundly broken, selfish person promising to try and love another profoundly broken, selfish person as best as they can, and maybe even ideally in and through God's love. But the fault lines of our brokenness really begin to emerge during this time and get amplified by the stress that we're feeling with being busy, with being tired, with feeling burdened and weary. So what are the major spiritual challenges of the 30s? If we kind of try and look at things from a big picture perspective, we talked about how the 20s was a time of building a foundation for your life. And the 30s and 40s, generally speaking, are about building the house. But we're not necessarily building under the ideal conditions. We're tired. We kind of thought we had a plan, and then we're building, and we're like, this room doesn't look like it's the way it's supposed to look. And we're arguing maybe with different people in our life, maybe our spouse, about how things are supposed to look. And there's all this work that has to go into building our, the house that is our lives and our marriage, our family, our career. And it's during the 30s where, you know, to this point in the spiritual journey, again, I'm speaking in broad generalities, the trajectory of men and women have been more or less on course. 30s is where they begin to diverge a little bit. And we'll talk about this and how it plays out uh, during the 40s and 50s in successive weeks. But a new divide emerges between men and women as this movement towards building a life comes into focus. Men are able to put a huge amount of energy in general in towards building uh, in the external world, out in society. They can build their careers. They have very, very few impediments to not just simply putting their head down and moving into building the house that is their career. Women, as children come along, face uh, a very different path, and it's a very challenging path, where they have to navigate to what extent they are going to, and obviously I know it's not in all cases it's women staying home, it might be the male, but in general, uh, even within our society, women are the ones who tend to have to deal with the tension point of, I'm going to stay at home and build, I'm going to be responsible for building the home part of our life, I'm going to take on that responsibility to a greater degree, so uh, women tend to move into a more interior space. They tend, their world becomes uh, necessarily smaller. Their view becomes uh, more focused on their family. And this can create a lot of uh, frustration, anger, resentment, tension for some women who maybe have 
put their foot and made some, built some momentum in a professional degree who really feel a strong sense of God's calling for them. And now the needs of their young family uh, compel them out of good conviction to make sure that the nurturance and care and building up of, of the family is taking a priority. But there's all new kinds of tension points that emerge for women as they seek to have this work-life balance we're always hearing about, but that's always evading our grasp. A lot of women deal with a, a sense of a pretty profound loss of identity, especially if, again, like I said, there's been a professional role before children. Women struggle with how to support and negotiate both well. And, and because of some of these dynamics, women often are confronted before men. Men eventually get confronted. We'll talk about that uh, in the next few weeks. But because of the pull of children um, out of a career for most women, women are often confronted with the truth that, you know, we can't have it all in life. We have to make hard decisions and strategic decisions around what's going to have our time and energy and focus. And having young children, which often emerges in the 30s, are a time where both men and women have to reevaluate their priorities and their commitments and their values. Moving out into the world and building your life as a married couple or as an individual looks very different when you add children to the equation. And so this is a time where amidst all the busyness, you're also having to work through what are we building again? Why? Who are we building for? Do we really need this in our lives? Maybe we need more of this over here. Very, very challenging time. So like I said, you're trying to build this life, but you're doing it under less than ideal conditions. Now on the ground level, this spiritual challenge of building a life, of building on this foundation that you hopefully established in your 20s, might sound like just a next step, but it feels like anything but for those moving through the 30s because on the ground level, you are just simply trying to survive. I mean, that's the one word I hear again and again from people moving through their 20s is some play off of the word, I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to make it through. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Kevin DeYoung has this quote from his book again, Crazy Busy. Most mornings, we drag ourselves out of bed start the day's routine, and hope against hope that we can simply hold, hold our ground. Maybe we can keep the house in only a mild state of disaster. Maybe we can break even on the to-do list. Maybe no one else will get sick. Maybe the inbox won't get any fuller. Maybe we won't fall asleep after lunch. Maybe, just maybe, we can get enough done in the next 18 hours to beat back the beast of busyness and live to see another day. We wake up most of our days not trying to serve, but just simply trying to survive. And this survival mode that can very easily overtake those in their 30s has tremendous consequences. It's a new challenge to discipleship and to faith. How do I keep Jesus central amidst new competing demands and responsibilities? How do I keep Jesus and his call on my life central when I'm just tired so much of the time, when I feel burdened and weighed down? How do I seek first the kingdom of God when I feel like I'm barely holding on as an individual, or we feel like we're barely holding on as a couple or as a young family? 
In the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, Jesus warns about those people who are like seeds sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of life come in and they choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And I've experienced many times in my 30s where that has spoken to me. That's how I feel. I feel like, I think I'm good ground. I want to be fruitful for God and his kingdom. And yet all these cares and worries have slowly come in and almost almost imperceptibly choked out the life um, that God has for me in the service of reacting to a whole bunch of maybe really good things, maybe important things. But it's choked out my faith. Almost every Christian that I know moving through the 30s can relate to that. There's a new challenge in your 30s for both men and women of remembering who you are, what's important to you, living out of that integrity. There's an ongoing struggle to find rest and renewal and refreshment. That's a major, major spiritual challenge. How do I build this life? How do I move forward with what feels like no margins where I, I don't feel like I'm coming up for air enough. Let's talk about the Bible and those moving through the 30s. I think there's a particularly important invitation from Jesus in the Gospels that everybody moving through their 30s needs to hear and needs to respond to. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, these verses are a source of comfort to all Christians, but they should be doubly so for those moving through their 30s, moving through times in life that are incredibly busy and hectic, and I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through. People experiencing those stages of life need to cling to this promise and need to move into it in an intentional way. Why do I say that? One author says this, Many of us are so familiar with the Gospels that we fail to see the obvious. Jesus was a very busy man. One of Mark's favorite words is immediately. For three years, Jesus and his band of disciples are on a whirlwind of activity. One event immediately follows another. In Mark 1, Jesus begins his public ministry by teaching in the synagogue, rebuking an unclean spirit, caring for Simon's mother-in-law, and then staying up late into the night, healing many who were sick with various diseases and casting out demons. At one point, Jesus is too busy to eat His family thought he was going nuts. Jesus had crowds coming to him all the time. He had people looking for him, demanding his time and attention. And the impression that we get from the Gospels is that almost every day for three years, he's preaching, healing, casting out demons. Don't think Jesus is some kind of Zen master who does yoga and ponders the sound of one hand clapping. If Jesus were alive today, he'd get more emails than any of us. He'd have more people calling his cell phone. He'd have a zillion requests for interviews, television, television appearances, conference gigs. Jesus did not float above the fray, untouched by the pressures of normal human existence. And so when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, that is coming from a place of compassion and empathy. And it's not coming from a place of naivete. Jesus understands what, it, what life feels like when the margins are very thin and very narrow. 
He knows what it's like to move into demands and responsibilities when there are all kinds of pressures, internal and external, and you don't have optimum rest, optimum space. If we want to experience that lifting of Christ, if we want to move into that rest, to take hold of it, to receive that from Jesus, how do we put ourselves in a position to do that? And that's where my counsel to the 30s comes in. It was originally 12 things. I've narrowed it down to four. I think I was, with a few months left of the 30s, I was just doing, oh, these are all the things I wish someone would have told me. So if you want the other eight, you can email me this week. But here are the four that I thought were really important. Number one, embrace self-care. In your 30s, I think it's really important to embrace self-care. You're a human. That means you are finite in your capacities. While being selfish and self-centered is absolutely sinful, it's spiritually dangerous, Jesus models self-care in order to refresh and strengthen his ability to further ministry and to sustain service. I really think for for all of us in general, but for the 30s in particular, self-care needs to become a kind of spiritual discipline. In Mark 6.31, it says, because there were so many people coming to hear Jesus, to access him and his disciples, uh, the 12, that uh, none of them had even a chance to eat, Jesus says to them, come with me by ourselves to a quiet place and we'll get some rest. People crushing at the doors, the, the, wall, the door down there is buckling. People want to come in. We've been doing this thing and helping people and preaching and, and teaching. They can wait. We're going to go to a quiet place. We're going to get some rest so that we can then engage well later. In your 30s, my experience has been it's just as important to prioritize rest over goals for growth or serving other people because you cannot serve and grow um, in significant ways if you are perpetually weary and ground down. If the 30s are the plane experiencing a lot of turbulence and the oxygen masks have come down, you've got to put your oxygen mask on first. You're not helping people by trying to act hyper-heroic and saying, oh, I'll help all these other people. You are going to burn out. You're going to get ground down. You're going to um, be overwhelmed by the cares and worries of this world unless you can wisely uh, take time to uh, replenish and restore that which God has to put in you so that you can serve and love effectively. And so in that way, self-care isn't selfish. It's actually very selfless when it's done with loving God and loving other people in mind. Here's my self-care advice to those in their 30s. Just prioritize one thing that is the most restorative for you. Just one thing. A lot of people are like, I want to exercise and get eight hours of sleep, and I want to eat really well, and I want to have great relationships that just bring me to life. You're, almost everyone that I know has no capacity to hold all those things together during the 30s. So my advice to you, humbly, would be pick one. The one that is the most restorative for you. If it's exercise, prioritize it. If it's eating well, do that. If it's sleep, if you are moving into a stage where you feel like you can handle two of those things, great. But just pick one thing and focus on that and really ask God through that to renew and restore you so that you can love him and serve others well. You can't have it all in this area, certainly not 
with a young family, but ensuring that one of those self-care inputs is in place can really, really make a huge difference. Number two, invest in your marriage and family in that order. Matthew 19, Jesus says, haven't you read in the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And I think certainly what's implied there is let no one or nothing separate that as well. Not busyness, not commitments over here, not overcommitment, not hyperactivity. Your marriage needs to be the priority, secondary only to your commitment and allegiance to Christ. Years four to eight are difficult years in a marriage. Again, the veneer of, marriage, of your spouse begins to wear off. When you are tired and weary and burdened, it becomes easier to notice and to be disturbed and frustrated by the imperfections, inconsistency, sinfulness in your spouse. And so the 30s are a bit of a Molotov cocktail where you have so many things happening and it becomes very tempting to see all the ways your spouse is failing you. It becomes very tempting to begin confessing their sins instead of confessing your own. And that can take on a really, really destructive negative momentum. No relationship in your life will be more at risk during this time than your marriage because no relationship will be as easy to take for granted as your marriage. And so you need to fight and find a way to invest in your marriage. For some people, that's date nights. For some people, that's making sure they're going to some kind of counselor or therapist maybe once or twice a year just for a little tune-up checkup. Maybe it's reading a book together. But you've got to fight for it. And you've got to prioritize that. What works for you, you guys got to find out. You've got to talk with each other and say, what would be nourishing? What do we feel like we need right now? How do we need to love each other well and serve each other well so that our marriage stays strong? And then investing in your family, your children. That's your third priority under God, spouse, children. It's so important to do that, to be constantly sharpening the saw, learning new ways of loving and leading your family well. There's a parenting course happening at the Christian school right now. I know Mike McIndoe has a parenting a seminar that I'll mention in a, uh, at the announcements at the end, coming up on February 17th at the Balfour Church. These are opportunities for us as parents to say, to, to intentionally take time out and to say, how do I grow in my ability to love and lead my children well? Really, really important. Spending quality time with our children and make sure that we're giving them experiences and not just stuff. Kids don't remember stuff when they're older. They, they remember experiences with their parents. So give them experiences. Number three, this is a doozy, uh, and I don't profess to say it from a place of mastery, but uh, just say no. Just practice it. Here, let's do it together. Everybody say no. No. Say it again. No. It's uncomfortable sometimes for us even to say it, to vocalize it out loud. We want to serve. We want to give. We want to be saying yes to these good things and to these opportunities we want to be saying yes to these people, to these needs. But part of spiritual wisdom, part of growth in Christ means learning to say no. Jesus says, don't swear by your head. You cannot make even one hair black or white. All you need to do is simply say yes or no. Anything else comes from the evil one. Some translations say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that's not directly talking about establishing boundaries in your life and saying no to opportunities. He's, he's speaking there to something else. But he is speaking to the fact that he expects followers of his to say no. 
it's okay. He says, let your yes be yes, and your no's be no. So there's many appropriate times in the Christian life where it's not just justified, but critical for us to say, I have all the pieces in play, and I need to say no to that. See, in your 30s, the temptation that's going to continually present itself is to do more. Do more for your kids, more for your job, more for your community, more for your church, more for your marriage, more for your coworker, more for the missions agency, more for your parents, more for your kids' school. And life will drive you into the ground if you don't start simplifying your life and enforcing some boundaries. Coming into a greater awareness of what is mine to do, where are my capacities? I might wish my capacities were here, but they're here. So how do I live out of these capacities well to the honor and glory of God? And remember, we're not saying no so that our lives stay completely manageable and totally comfortable. That's not why we're saying no. We're saying no to many good things in order to say yes to God's best things for us. And those best things will likely be still very demanding. But God's best things demand usually a substantial investment from us. And so if we want to say yes to God's best, we have to say no. So I don't want anyone to hear, you know, piecing some of this together, self-care, saying no, and I'm going to spin that into basically a baptized life of narcissism where I kind of live life as I see it, and I'm just throwing out no's all the time, and I'm advocating all kinds of selfishness through the lens of self-care. That's not what I'm saying. The view is always to love God and to serve our neighbor well, but what's integral to that mission is for us to say no to many good things so we can say yes to the things God has put on our heart to do, that we feel called, we feel particularly compelled to give our best energies towards. So in your 30s, in your 20s, life is like a shotgun. It's like, boom, we're going in all these different directions. In your 30s, if you want health and effectiveness and just sanity in your 30s, I think you have to kind of shift from shotgun to laser beam. You have to kind of pick a few things and focus on doing them well rather than many things and spreading yourself too thin. And that will be very hard for some people. If you're like me, you're maybe overly ambitious, you want to constantly be pushing the edges of your capacities, but it's important to do, to shift from kind of shotgun approach to a laser beam. And you might say, that's easy for you to say. Yeah, we should prioritize God's best. I don't know what God's best is. There's a t- I got 30 good things in front of me. How, how am I supposed to choose the five or six that I'm supposed to give myself to? I don't know what... what That's why I get into trouble, Jeff, because I don't know what to say no to. And I mentioned this last week, but that's why it's so important to to cultivate some kind of life rule or mission statement or three sentences or a paragraph that says, out of prayer, out of reflection, out of talking to people around me, out of seeking the scriptures, this is what I think are my highest priorities and values. This is what I feel like God has called me to. And I um, I might falter in how I pursue this, but this is what's going to give my best attention. And if you don't have that, if you just have a vague sense of, yeah, I'm just going to be here to help people, you're going to get overwhelmed quick. You've got to know what are your giftings, what are your passions, what's your personality, what are the experiences that God has put in your life, how has God shaped you now to serve and to do it well, and then to focus on that. When you have that, it's much easier to say, this is an awesome opportunity. I can connect you to someone who can actually help you here but I need to say no to that right now because I'm focusing on this. So cultivating some kind of life rule, some kind of um, just paragraph that pushes you to think through 
what am I, what is mine to do? What is mine to do? In Mark 1, we read this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went with him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, the day has barely started. The sun is just cresting over the horizon. And there's already a massive to-do list. You're high demand. We, we, you, there's all these healings and teaching and stuff. We got 30 good things for you to do today. We got to, let's go, chop, chop. And Jesus says in verse 38, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus has no problem walking away from people in need, people who are wanting to access him, if it endangers his primary sense of mission, which is to preach and proclaim the gospel. Do you know what you've been gifted to do? Do you, do you have that sense of calling and vocation? Without it, you're going to be tossed to and fro to the competing demands and the reactionary demands that surface on social media and your friends and your community and your church and your school. You need to go on a journey and to begin to process and get clarity around this is what God has put me here to do. And that starts by just beginning to write and pray through it. Number four, prioritize the one thing. In Luke chapter 10, pretty famous story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. A lot to be said about that story, but I think sometimes the most simplest path of interpretation is important. Martha being busy, serving, being hospitable, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But again, we often can sacrifice best things on the altar of trying to do good things. I think Jesus is trying to teach us here that while we face many competing demands, many challenges, there is a priority which, if we prioritize it, will provide a kind of anchor to our soul, a centeredness, will keep us grounded in the gospel, and will help us to, yes, in some cases, simply get through and endure hard times. And that is taking time to prioritize sitting at the feet of Jesus. One author says this, how do you come to Jesus and find rest? How do you put yourself in a position where you can receive that rest and that refreshment from God? This is the best advice that I know. Devote yourself to the word of God in prayer. This means public worship and private worship. I'm not telling you how much time to spend. You may start with five minutes today or 15 or 50, but a few unhurried minutes are better than a distracted hour and a consistent habit is better than a sporadic than sporadic bursts of fits and starts. As someone who has had devotional time since high school and has also struggled to have a devotional time since high school, I can tell you that no 
single practice brings more peace and discipline to life than sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus wants to provide us with rest, to ease the burdens, but we have to sit before him and receive. And if that just looks like I'm going to read one chapter, I'm going to start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm just going to read one chapter and then just sit there for five or ten minutes and pray. Maybe it's two minutes. God will honor that prioritization. And that act, however small, God can use in a mighty way to help you hold together in the midst of some of the storms that you're moving through in your 30s. How can we as a church support those in the 30s? Number one, encouragement. Pile it on. Encourage people in this stage of life. Most of us feel like we're barely holding it together. Even the smallest words of encouragement related to our family, our work, our efforts, our habits can make a really, really big difference. Number two, pray. Specifically pray for strength and endurance for a stretch of the journey, which is really, really hard. Pray that uh, those moving through their 30s would be faithful to commitments when they're going to face a lot of temptations to walk away from those commitments, to not be faithful. And lastly, uh, babysit. Uh, If you are anybody who is competent around young children, um, giving couples a free night of babysitting or a single parent a a free night of babysitting is a real gift. Um, We've had people do that for us. We've tried to do it for other people in this community. When your margins for time and money are so small, I can't tell you how many times we've heard messages where people say, oh, you and Heather should go on a date. It's like, I'm not going to go on a date. It's like dropping 40 or 50 bucks for a babysitter. Then if I go anywhere cheap to eat, maybe we can go to Subway and we can split a six inch. And that's, you know, you're doing the math in your head. And you're like, that sounds great, but I don't have the financial margins to do that. And just to be able to say, I would be willing to, on this Friday or this Saturday or what time that works for you, let me know. That, that's a huge encouragement. And that really, really is a huge help to people moving through their 30s with, uh, with young families. I'm not going to put this on anybody. I just throw it out there as a seed. Maybe it'll take root. I think it'd be super cool if a few people in this church, maybe it's one, we only need one, but a few people said, we're going to organize like a babysitting ministry. Like we'll collect the names of people who are like, we're willing to babysit. We'll have that. And then uh, young couples and families in the church can phone these people and say, is there anyone available for this time? Like I'm really, this would be such a lifeline to me. And we could connect people to those who are willing to offer help. I think that would be super, super cool. Um, Maybe that's going to be something that God really puts on your heart to respond to, and that's going to be a a significant way that you're going to help to bring life and and health to this community. The 30s are a challenging time. I know it. I have lived it for the last decade. But I've also experienced the sweetness and the fruit that comes from struggling, yes, fighting, yes, but prioritizing time with Jesus. Jesus and to continue to fight for my faith and to make my faith central and to not allow the carriers and worries of this world to overwhelm me. I've learned in my 30s to center on the gospel, to grow deeper in my understanding of what that means and to live out its implications. 
And that would be my prayer for my friends who are going through that journey well. Continue to be faithful, continue to persevere, continue to grow, continue to fight, and continue to surround yourself with other um, Christians in their, in their 30s who will inspire you um, and help bring restoration and joy to your soul as well. Let's pray. God, as we close in worship, I know there's more people in this room than just those in their 30s who need, uh, need a burden lifted. They need to be refreshed. So I pray that you would do that uh, even, even now, God, or even during this final song as we transition downstairs to share lunch together, to break bread, to, to laugh, to share stories, to carry each other's burdens. May you continue to grow us into a community that knows how to love each other well, God. In Jesus' mighty name we ask this. Amen.